0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Please be seated. Thanks, Adam and worship team. Uh, My name is Mark, and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus and glad to be standing in. Uh, for Clint today to open God's word uh, together. And as Adam said that we would be able to hear and listen. But I'm going to be honest with you up front to Today's passage, it's not flashy. It's not suspenseful like when Rahab, an enemy of Israel, hides some spies. They know they're there and they come and investigate. So it's not suspenseful like that. It's, it's not powerful where we saw God... Uh, part the Jordan River, and when you look at the map, for 16 miles, God stopped the water from flowing down the Jordan. It's not dramatic. In a couple of chapters, we'll finally see the fall of Jericho. Um, So, how's that for grabbing your attention? So, listen up. But even though, okay, it's not flashy. It's not going to seem dramatic. It's not going to be ultra-powerful in seeing certain things, but it's all important, and there's going to be some things that are I hope are going to be helpful, and if we will listen closely, hopefully it'll be impactful. So turn to Joshua chapter 4, and as you're doing that, I want you to think with me about the idea of faith. And there's some things we believe about it. Ephesians tells us that faith is a gift, that it's this working through regeneration of the Holy Spirit uh, in people. And then you read all through the Bible and we see examples of really strong faith. And we saw one in in Rahab where, man, she's believing in a God that she's just heard about. Uh, But then we also see examples of very weak faith that What, 40 years before this, where Israel, God's people, many tells them it's their time, they're going to enter the promised land, and their faith is really weak. You read all through the Old Testament, you see strong faith, weak faith. You go to the New Testament, it's the same. All we have to do is look at one man, Peter. I mean, he has extremely weak faith, and then at times it's extremely strong. So it gets me to thinking, then what is it that builds faith I know how we get it it's a gift that but what is it that builds strong faith what is it that makes our faith stronger and so I began thinking what are some things in my life I think one thing is God's faithfulness in the past and remembering how you know God did this thing maybe not parting the Jordan River but he did this thing in my life where maybe he Uh, provided a major need that we had. Maybe you've got some of those where, I don't know, maybe it was where God worked in a very difficult situation or uh, maybe there was some deliverance through something. And so we have these past experiences just like Israel did. But then another one for me is being a part of the church and just looking out and seeing God's people because, I don't know, man, sometimes I get to thinking, man, is this all really worth it? Man, another Sunday, do I really want to go and do this thing? And Man, then I come and I see people that have been believers far longer than I have and watching their faithful service or watching people care for one another, watching people serve and give sacrificially. Man, just watching God's people, man, that is something that builds my faith. So here's what we're going to see today. One, I I think probably the biggest enemy to faith is forgetfulness. So let's turn that into the positive, and I would say it this way that one of the, our greatest builders of faith is remembrance. I think that's one of the things that can build our faith is the idea of remembrance or memories. And I'm telling you, I did some research this week that our memories are fascinating things. So, first of all, God created us in these bodies with these brains that We can actually remember things. In fact, I read that it says that over a lifetime, we can hold one quadrillion pieces of information. That's a one with 15 zeros behind it. And what they're saying is there really is no limit to the amount of things that we can remember. They tell us that our brains have 86 billion neurons, 400 miles of capillaries, 1,000 miles of accents that you could circle the earth four times, more than a trillion synopsis. That our brains are these fascinating organs that we're to remember. Do you know your short-term memory that you can only hold about seven pieces of information at a time in the short term and only for about 20 seconds? So I know my time is short here today. As we get older, and I've seen this in my parents and my in-laws, you know, you sit down and they kind of tell you the same stories. And then they tell you things as if it just happened yesterday and you realize, wait, that was 25 years ago. Because it's what we do. That our memories tend to be made up between the ages of 15 and 24. That will be 60% of our memories. Any left-handed people in the house? That uh, Do you want to know who has better memories? Left-handed people. I don't know why. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us also. That with the internet and smartphones that our memories are actually getting worse. I mean, my children don't know what it's like to have to memorize like 12 different phone numbers. They just don't know that. I mean, what's your number? I don't know. They say because of this, our attention spans have decreased from 20 to 12 minutes. So I better hurry. So here it is. Our greatest, one of our greatest builders of faith is the idea of remembrance. So let's go to Joshua chapter 4. And let's see what we see if that's actually a true statement. So let's begin uh, verses one through three. This is how it reads. And this is going to set up the passage. Notice what it says. So remember that Israel is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. The spies have gone over to Jericho. Standing at the Jordan River, you can see Jericho. It's only about five miles. And this is what it says When all the nation had finished passing, over the Jordan. So God backs up the Jordan, they cross over, and the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you will lodge tonight and so he sets up the passage for us he he gives us the overview that God is going to command Joshua to tell 12 men one from each tribe to as you're crossing over you're going to pick up a stone and you're going to carry it with you then look at verse 4 and 5 so what does Joshua do he commands 12 men from the people of Israel from whom he had appointed a man from each tribe and Joshua said to them Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And take up each one of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the peoples of Israel. So first of all we see Joshua's obedience. That God gives him his command. He simply gives it out. These 12 men are going to have to pick up a stone. One they can carry on their shoulder. And notice he is going to tell us the what but also why. So they're going to carry these stones where they go. And it says in verse 6, And this will be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So God is going to take some simple stones. and He's going to tell them that these stones are going to be used to to cause a curiosity, to cause questions from the younger generation. And at the same time, these stones are going to be the cause of an answer, a remembrance from the older generation. So look at verse 8. Notice what they do. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and they took twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan. According to the number of tribes of the people of Israel just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. So twelve stones come out of the Jordan. They're carried by one from each tribe. And he's going to tell them to place it where they camp. And Man, as I've been studying this over the last couple of weeks, this is one of those times where, man, people can get so focused on the details of trying to answer things that, what's the phrase, you miss the forest for the trees? Because there's going to be some things that are happened, and some were told why, some were not told. Uh, You know, there's even debate on where they take these stones. There's all kinds of ideas of what they actually do with them. So look at verse 9. So Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of, wait, the Jordan. No, wait, didn't God tell him to take 12 stones and then carry them to the place we're going to lodge and set them up? But we're not told that God told Joshua to do this, but for some reason, Joshua stops, and he takes 12 stones. And notice, he placed them where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And it says, they are there to this day. We're not told why. Joshua just does. To me, this seems like this is kind of his personal act of worship where the ark is coming through. It's standing there. The people are going to pass by. And Joshua takes 12 stones and he lays them there. We're not told why, but he does. But then in verse 10, For the priest bearing the ark, they stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. When all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed before the people. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gab, the half tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed before the Lord for the battle to the plains of Jericho. So the fighting men go first, probably so they're, you know, they're over there because they're only five miles. Imagine they've been to Jericho. They, they knew the spies where this city would have been on high alert. Imagine they could have even from the top of the wall, they could have seen them crossing. So notice this next dramatic event in 14. And on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua inside of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him. Just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as before. And So what happens? And the people come up out of the Jordan in the 10th day of the first month and notice they camped at Gilgal. And here's what we don't know. I mean, you're only five miles from the city of Jericho. Most cities were set up to be a day's journey about 20 miles We don't know if this is an actual city, but we know this, that Gilgal means circle or wheel. That they probably took these stones and created a circle, created a wheel on the eastern side of the Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. But it got me to thinking, why would God not have had them set them up as soon as they crossed? It's it's those priest feet Come up out of the water, all of a sudden, or come out of the Jordan, all of a sudden the water returns. Why wouldn't God have had them set it up right there where He did this incredible thing? But instead He tells them to take it where they camped. I think it's because God wanted this to be close by, He wanted to be in their midst. That God wanted this reminder of these stones as these people were passing, somebody go, What are those stones there for? And notice we get the why again. And he said to the people of Israel in verse 21, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel, we passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord, did, Lord your God did in the Red Sea. Which he dried up for us until we passed over. And what I'm seeing is that God desires something. That God desires this idea of generational teaching. He, he wants this idea of generational influence. He wants this thing of generational gospel telling. And that's why I'm so thankful that we are a part of a church that believes in in generational discipleship. I'm so thankful for the children or the adults that teach our youth this idea of generational impact, those that teach our children and lead our kids life group that we want adults in front of children so that they can tell of God's faithfulness. But we also know this, is that it also starts at home. So more about that in just a moment. So the simple story is this, is that they're crossing over the Jordan. And in the midst of it, Joshua stops. He grabs 12 stones. He stacks them up or lays them however. The ark comes up out of the water. They grab 12 stones and they go set this up in Gilgal as a remembrance of what God had done. That he wants these children to be walking around going, Mom, Dad, what are those stones there for? So that they could tell them. But notice in the last verse, notice the ultimate goal of God in this. It isn't just that one generation hears. But it's so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. That God's ultimate goal, even through this, is not just so that one generation hears, but that generation tells another one, and that generation tells another one to where all the peoples of the earth that what began years and years ago is still being told today. That God is using 12 simple stones. To be a conversational piece for the next generation to tell that generation to tell that generation. So church, have you ever thought of this? Your faith journey its probably different than mine. I think a lot of them are really unique. Some seem pretty powerful. Some seem maybe not so much. But your faith journey, your testimony of God's faithfulness. Is to be like those 12 stones. It is to be told from generation to generation so that you and I actually become a part of God's larger plan of making his name known among the nations. And I got to thinking one day that somebody's going to simply tell someone else, and maybe it's in a third grade class or with five-year-olds, and they're going to tell of God's faithfulness in their life. And that child is going to grow up, and they're going to tell someone. And maybe they begin telling people that have never heard before. And so even though this doesn't seem like a really powerful or dramatic passage, I want us to see that one of the greatest builders of faith is simple remembrance. So I want to give us today two, I think, simple applications for this. One is, do you have some memorial stones? Have you taken the time to write down simply of God's faithfulness in your life? Because one of the greatest enemies of faith is simply forgetfulness. Simply taking those moments and writing them down as a remembrance of what God has done. So if you haven't done that, maybe in a while, maybe ever, take some time this week to just sit down and think about, oh, I remember when God did that. Man, I remember when we prayed about that. Man, I remember when we were in this need, and man, God did this, and take a moment to record those. But here's the second application. Do your children, or your grandchildren, or maybe your nieces and nephews, do they know your faith journey? Marla and I were even thinking and talking this week. I I was sharing about this and I stopped and I said, you know what, I don't know that our kids know that. They they know we're believers, but do they know of how God brought us to that point of seeing our need for him and us trusting in Jesus? Do they know that? So we're going to take some time this week and we're going to simply share with them, I mean, this is how God worked in my life. No, and then that got me to thinking about a, precious lady in my life we called her Granny Grew. Granny Grew was my mother's mother and she was incredible she was the one that you know you loved being around made you feel special the the woman that held the family together and she was a strong believer remember if I'd spend the night with her she'd take us to church on Sunday she taught in the children's classes if we were there in the summer uh, she would be involved in VBS and she was a faithful servant of the Lord but I got to thinking, I wish I knew her faith journey. I know she's a believer, but I wish I knew that. That I'm going to have to call my mom this week and ask, Hey, did Grandgoree ever tell you about how she came to faith in Christ? So kids, do you know your parents or your grandparents about how they came to faith? Do those we work with or live around, do they know of how God's call to Salvation in our life. That simple key of remembrance. So here's the thing to take home today. Take some time this week. Maybe begin today. Take some moments to simply write down, record, create a memorial stone of God's faithfulness in your life. But then would you take some time this week? Maybe it's in person. Maybe it's a phone call. But think of someone in your life a child a grandchild a niece or a nephew and say hey I want to tell you something I want to tell you about how God brought me to faith and would you take some time this week to share your remembrance because one of the greatest builders of faith is simply remembering so church pray with me.